And if we could, uh, this evening with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, uh, the Gospel according to Luke, in Luke chapter 23, and if we read again at verse 42, Luke chapter 23 at verse 42, and he said, that is the thief on the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. As I mentioned to you this morning, it's always nice to spend the day with family and with friends. And today I've had the privilege of spending the day with the High Free Church family and also Hugh and his lovely wife, Natalie. And tonight we have a fellowship, as you know, after the service and a cup of tea, so please do stay behind for that. But you know, as we spend the day together, as I mentioned to you this morning, I want us also to spend the day with this man, Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke, as I said, he was a physician. He was a general practitioner. He was a GP. But in his gospel, Dr. Luke presents to us the great physician, the great physician who is Jesus Christ. And as you'd expect, Dr. Luke, he sees Jesus in his gospel as the perfect son of man, the son of man who came to seek and to save that which was lost. But what's interesting is that as a doctor, Dr. Luke, he doesn't tell us much about the physical sufferings of Jesus on the cross. He doesn't tell us that the crucifixion was invented by the Romans and it was one of the most painful forms of capital punishment. Dr. Luke doesn't tell us that the cross was used to prolong the agony and the anguish of death. He doesn't tell us that the crown of thorns that was thrust into the head of Jesus caused significant blood loss. Dr. Luke doesn't tell us in his gospel that the crucifixion was preceded by flogging or scourging in order to physically weaken the condemned criminal. He doesn't describe to us the whip or the flagrant that was made of strips of leather that was fastened with pieces of lead and nails and broken glass. He doesn't tell us that, that the flagrant was dis designed to rip through human flesh, tearing skin and muscle off the criminal's body. Dr. Luke doesn't tell us that the nails that were driven through the hands and feet of Jesus were six inches long. Six inches long. And he doesn't tell us even that they weren't driven through his palm. No, they were driven through his wrist so that the nail would rest on his wrist bone. And it was nailed into the crossbeam on either side. He doesn't tell us that the victim of uh, crucifixion didn't bleed to death. They didn't die of the pain. No, they suffocated with exhaustion. If Dr. Luke was to do a post-mortem on crucified criminals, he would say that they didn't die because of the pain, but that they bled internally to death. He doesn't tell us about the physical sufferings of Jesus. And that's because he wants to emphasize to us the spiritual salvation that Jesus accomplished through the cross 
And you know, we see that here in Luke's Gospel. As we said this morning, Luke is someone who is calling us to come to the place called Calvary. He's inviting us to come to Calvary. And this evening he's doing the same. He's inviting us to come to Calvary and listen in to this conversation. A conversation between three crosses at Calvary. So it was a conversation between crosses at Calvary. There was the cross of the sinner. There was the cross of the saint. And in the middle there was the cross of the saviour. There was the cross of the sinner, the cross of the saint, and the cross of the saviour. And they are very simply our headings this evening. The cross of the sinner, the cross of the saint, the cross of the saviour. So first of all, let's go over here. I want us to go over here to the cross of the sinner. The cross of the sinner. Look at verse 39. He says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, rightly or wrongly, I always have in my mind that the cross of the sinner was on the left-hand side of Jesus. And the cross of the saint was to the right-hand side of Jesus. And maybe rightly or wrongly, I think like that, because, well, when Jesus said that he, when he would come again, in the glory of his Father, he would separate the sheep and the goats on the great day of judgment. And he said that he would set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. And so, my friend, on his left hand here this evening is a goat. Hanging here is the cross of the sinner. Because the conversation, what we have here, between these three wooden crosses, it was initiated by this man. It was initiated by a word of blasphemy, a word of blasphemy coming from the cross of the sinner being held towards the middle cross, the cross of the Saviour. And you know, when you listen in to what he's saying, it's hard to believe what he's saying because, well, here are these three wooden crosses. And Dr. Luke is looking on at them. And there's these three wooden crosses and upon these three wooden crosses are men who are hanging over the threshold of eternity. This is their last day on earth. They're not promised tomorrow. And for each of them, there was a time to be born, but this day was their time to die. And what a way to die. To die by crucifixion. And yet the cross of the sinner, oh, we read what he says. The cross of the sinner, he, he remained a sinner because he refused to seek salvation from the center cross the cross of the saviour and you know it was a sad ending for the cross of the sinner that even in the face of death even in the face of death there's no remorse there's no repentance there's no care there's no concern for his soul instead with his dying breath he blasphemes all the way to the grave if he says if you are the christ save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. And you know, his statement not only showed the hardness of his heart, but also that he was a people pleaser. He was a people pleaser. Here's a man who lived for the crowd. Here's a man who listened to the crowd. You know, he was someone who, who followed the crowd. And you know, I say that because when we look at what others said against Jesus... The cross of the sinner just copied them. He followed the crowd. 
You read in verse 35 that we see there that the Jewish rulers, they're scoffing Jesus. They're saying he saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And then we read that the Roman soldiers, they also step forward and they mock Jesus. And they're saying, well, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And now after hearing all these other insults being hurled at the middle cross, the cross of the Saviour, this man hanging on the cross of the sinner, he adds his tuppence worth too. And he says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And you know, you listen to what this man is saying and you, you're seeing that he's listening to the crowd. He's living for the approval of men to the point, to the very point that with his dying breath, he follows the crowd into hell. He follows the crowd into hell. Do you know my unconverted friend here this evening? I need not remind you it is a dangerous thing to follow the crowd into hell. It's a dangerous thing to live for the approval of the crowd. It's a dangerous thing to love the applause of the crowd. It's a dangerous thing to listen to the advice of the crowd. Because the crowd, they'll always tell you that, well, life is just about being a good person. It's about doing your best. It's all about loving life and living for the moment and looking after number one. The crowd will tell you that there's nothing after death. No one goes to hell. Everyone goes to heaven. We all become bright shining stars in the sky looking down upon our loved ones. Oh, my friend, if only that were true. If only that were true. But it's not. Because when we look at the cross of the sinner, when we look at this poor man to the left-hand side of Jesus Christ, you know, we should see that this man, he reminds us of one question. One question. Where is hell? Where is hell? Because for the cross of the sinner, hell was at the end of a Christless life. Hell was at the end of a Christless life. Do you know my unconverted friend? I don't know who you are. But I want to say to you this evening, you make sure, you make sure that you're not like this man. You make sure that you're not living for the approval of the crowd. You make sure you're not loving the applause of the crowd. You make sure that you're not listening to the advice of the crowd. You make sure that you're not being led by the crowd to a lost eternity in hell. Oh, my friend, you make sure. You make sure that you don't waste one moment longer outside the kingdom. Because where is hell? And I don't take delight in asking this question. It is my great privilege to preach to you the answer. That Jesus is the answer. But my friend, where is hell? You know you can ask him. If we were to ask him tonight, where is hell? He would tell us. It's at the end of a Christless life. Hell is at the end of a Christless life. And you know, my unconverted friend, my longing for you, my longing for you, 
is that you will not be like the cross of the sinner. Know that you will be like the cross of the saint. That you'll be like this man. That we see secondly, the cross of the saint. The cross of the saint. Look at verse 40. He says, we're told there that the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Now, although it, could only, it would only be speculation, but you know, the cross of the saint, he could have been a friend of the cross of the sinner. They could have known one another. As robbers, they might have committed crimes together. They may even have shared a prison cell with one another. They could have been together in life. But there was going to be this great separation between them at death. And that was first evidenced by the fact that the cross of the saint, he rebukes the cross of the sinner. And he says, the cross of the saint says to the cross of the sinner, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, do you not care that you're about to die? Do you not realize that very shortly you're going to meet your maker? Do you not fear the judgment of God? Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, the cross of the saint, he rebukes the cross of the sinner. But you know, what we see is that the cross of the saint, he's not like this man. Because he's not listening to the advice of the crowd. He's not loving the applause of the crowd. He's not living for the approval of the crowd. He's not being led by the crowd at all. No, the grace of God is now at work in his heart and in his life. And like it is for many people, maybe it was the prospect of death. Maybe it was the reality that was set before him. That's what made him realize the importance of salvation. Because now at the end of his life, he knew... He knew what a waste. I've wasted my life trying to live up to the expectations of people and worrying about what other people will think or say about me. You know, maybe even at one point in this man's life, he may have worried about following Jesus. He may have worried about coming out on the side of Christ. But now, on the threshold of eternity... All that worry, as Jesus says, couldn't add a single hour to his life. And you know, the thing is, the cross of the saint, he knew that he was a sinner. The irony is, the cross of the sinner didn't think he was a sinner at all. But the cross of the saint, he knew that he was a hell-deserving sinner. In fact, he acknowledges that he's a hell-deserving sinner because he said that he's receiving what he deserves. That's what he says. He's, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He knows he deserves death. He knows he deserves the punishment of hell for his sin. He knows that he deserves torture in this life and torment in the next. But what's more is that he knows the man on the middle cross is innocent. He knows that the man on the middle cross is innocent. He says, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And you know, at this point, the thief on the cross, he doesn't refer to the man on the middle cross as Jesus. 
He doesn't call him Lord. He just describes the cross of the Saviour as this man. This man. This man hath done nothing amiss. Of course, the cross of the saint would have heard all about the cross of the Saviour. Because everyone had heard about Jesus. They had all heard about this man, the miracle worker from Galilee, who who cleansed lepers and, and healed the sick and raised the dead. He would have also heard about all the false accusations that were being made against this man. He would have known that Pilate thought that this man was innocent and not deserving of death. But he would have also discovered that this man, this man on the middle cross was the most loving man that ever lived. Because he heard him pray. He heard the prayer we were considering this morning. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And immediately the cross of the saint realized, I can be part of the them. I can come into the them. I I can be part of that them that Jesus spoke of. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know, my unconverted friend, you look at this man hanging here, the cross of the saint. And you know, I think that you're very similar to this man. Because like him, you fear God. You might not talk about it publicly. You might not want to speak about these things to your family or your friends, but in your heart, you fear God. And because you fear God, you respect the church. You believe the Bible, you wouldn't dispute a word of it. You enjoy the gospel, you love coming here and hearing the gospel and you love the company of Christians, you love singing in this place. But you also know that you have a past. You know that you're a hell-deserving sinner. You know that Jesus, the man in the middle, is a sinless saviour. You know that Jesus is the most loving man that ever lived. You know that he's more than willing to forgive you and cleanse you and change you and transform your punishment into paradise. You know that. And yet, you're here again this evening. And despite knowing who you are and who the man in the middle cross is, you do nothing about it. You do nothing about it. And you know, is it true to say, is it true to say that you go from week to week, month to month, maybe even year to year, decade to decade, I don't know, but you keep on moving in the same lost condition? But this dying thief, this is what's so beautiful about him. He gives to you a prayer, a prayer that you can copy and claim for yourself. Verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know, my friend, these words there in verse 42, they are what made this sinner a saint. They're words that changed his life and gave to him eternal life. But notice, notice, it wasn't an eloquent prayer. It wasn't an extended prayer. But it was an earnest prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't extended, but it was earnest. 
because that's all that's required. An earnest plea for repentance. And you know, was that not the experience of, of another sinner mentioned in Scripture? A sinner who became a saint. His prayer wasn't eloquent, it wasn't extended, but it was earnest. Because he came to God on bended knee, crying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you want to know what my prayer was when I was seeking the Lord? I'll mention it later on this evening. It wasn't extended, it wasn't eloquent. I didn't know how to pray, what to pray. What it was was Psalm 51 verse 10. Create a clean heart. Lord renew. A right spirit me within. God create within me a clean heart. And you know, this is the wonder of it. Jesus hears these prayers. The earnest prayer. Jesus hears the earnest prayer. And you know my unconverted friend, that's all that's required. An earnest plea and prayer. That's why you need to come to the man on the middle cross. You need to come to the cross of the Saviour. Not with your eloquence, not with your extended prayers, but just with your earnest plea. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So let's consider the cross of the Saviour. We've seen the cross of the sinner, the cross of the saint, but lastly the cross of the Saviour. The cross of the Saviour. The cross of the saint says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the cross of the Saviour says to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And you know, in that moment, in that moment when this thief turned to the cross of the Saviour for salvation, and when he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I'm sure that he wondered What's Jesus going to say? I'm sure he wondered how Jesus would respond to his request. I'm sure he wondered how Jesus would respond to that little prayer and plea from his heart. Because he knew that he didn't deserve forgiveness. But Jesus' response to his earnest prayer and plea was better than he could have asked for. Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. And you know, my unconverted friend, you might wonder, you may wonder how Jesus will respond to you when you earnestly come to him seeking salvation and forgiveness. You might wonder what he will do with your request and the little plea and prayer from your heart. Because, well, like this man, you know that you don't deserve forgiveness. But the wonder of the cross of the Saviour is that when you come to his cross, when you come confessing your sin and committing your life to him, Jesus gives you a word of assurance. A clear word of assurance. He says, truly, assuredly, most certainly, today you will be with me in paradise. What a word to hear at the end of your life. And you know, that little word, truly or assuredly, it's very important. It's full of assurance. Here is Jesus saying to this man, truly, assuredly, verily, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise. That on the threshold of eternity, this sinner has reached his last day, his last opportunity in this world, and he's become a saint. 
And he's told by Jesus, you're coming with me to heaven. You're coming with me to glory. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, but today. Literally, Jesus says to this man, today you are going to walk with me in the garden. Death will not win the victory. Sin will not overcome you. The grave will not leave its sting upon you. Because today you will walk with me in the garden, in the new Eden of glory. Today you will be with me in paradise. And you know, many people looking on, they would have thought, looking at this cross, they would have thought, well, the cross of the saint, he just died in the same condition as the other guy, the cross of the sinner. Most people looking on at these three crosses would have said, well, they both went to hell. He didn't. He didn't. And you know, it's often when you go to a deathbed, as a minister, that's why we should never make a judgment on someone's soul. Never make a judgment. Because it's not for us to judge. Jesus is the judge. It's before him that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know, my friend, you never know. You never know what's going on in someone's heart on the threshold of eternity. You never know. And that's the hope of the gospel. There is always an opportunity right to the end. And my unconverted friend, you know, this conversation between these three wooden crosses, it's reminding you and reassuring you this, this evening that you're not beyond hope. You're not beyond the pale. You're not beyond redemption. You're not too late or too far gone. Because like it is for like it was for this man, the hope of the gospel will be held out to you until your dying breath. Because the eleventh hour, the eleventh hour is still an hour of opportunity. The eleventh hour is still an opportunity. But there's a warning with that. The Bible is very clear that deathbed conversions don't happen often. They do happen. I've seen them happen. It's a delight to watch it happen. But they don't happen often. In fact, deathbed conversions are, are rare. Even in the Bible, there's only one deathbed conversion. And it wasn't even on a deathbed. It was on a Roman cross. And it was my good friend J.C. Ryle. If you like J.C. Ryle, or if you've never heard of him, read him. But my good friend, he's a good friend to me, J.C. Riley, once said, few are ever saved on their deathbeds. And he's highlighting this passage. Few are ever saved on their deathbeds. One thief on the cross was saved that none would despair, but only one that none would presume. One thief was saved that none should despair, but only one that none would presume. And you know, my unconverted friend, deathbed conversions are rare. So don't presume that you'll have one. Don't procrastinate until your deathbed. Don't wait. No, that's why the gospel says, far better for you to come to Christ now. 
and wait until your deathbed. Far better for you to come to Christ today than to wait until the eleventh hour of your life. Far better for you to come to the man on the middle cross seeking salvation. And far better for you to come now. To come today. Because as the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come. Today is the day to call out to this Jesus and call upon him and confess your sin and commit your life to him. You know, my friend, it's the cross of the Saviour that made all the difference between the cross of the sinner and the cross of the saint. And yet the cross of the sinner and the cross of the saint, this is the thing. They were the same distance away from Jesus. They were the same distance away from the cross of the Saviour. They hung only feet from the man on the middle cross. Both of them on the threshold of eternity. Both of them needing forgiveness. Both of them had the same offer of salvation sitting or hanging right in front of them. And yet, one scorned Jesus. The other sought Jesus. One blasphemed Jesus. The other begged him for mercy. One rejected Jesus. The other said to Jesus, remember me. Do you know, my friend, the cross of the Saviour, he is the difference between the cross of the sinner and the cross of the saint. The cross of the Saviour is the difference between eternal death and eternal life. The cross of the Saviour is the difference between being lost or being saved. The cross of the Saviour is the difference, and let me make this absolutely clear to you. The cross of the Saviour is the difference between an eternity in hell and an eternity in heaven. My unconverted friend, my unconverted friend here this evening, it's the cross of the Saviour that makes all the difference. But the question I want to leave you with is what difference is the cross of the Saviour making in your life? What difference is this wonderful Saviour making in your life? Oh, my friend, you come to him. You call upon him. You commit your life to him. You confess that he is your Lord and he is your Saviour because he makes all the difference. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to